last week we left off talking about uh, uh, the, the showbread in the holy place as a foreshadowing of the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to touch on the importance of bread to, uh, this morning as it relates to Christ. Um, you know, we live in a, a country with abundance of bread. So when we talk about bre bread, it's commonplace. But remember, for most of the world, it's not commonplace. It's, it's, it's absolutely uh, essential to the diet, and it has been for, for millennial. And so, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of folks out here. There's a movement that's going on that says, you know, we hate bread. We hate bread. Don't eat bread. Bread is bad. You know, you hear that, all the Atkins diets and all that. I've done all that stuff. But, folks, give me carbohydrates or give me death. <laughs> no way am I giving up bread. I don't care how many people think it's evil. Bread is not evil. And uh, I know some people, maybe an abundance of bread is evil. But, I mean, last week my wife and I went, she ordered some stuff from Olive Garden, not knowing that you got three pieces of bread with everything you ordered. You know, two soups and, or four soups, and we had uh, what else? Uh, salad, and so and then we ordered breadsticks on top of it, and they came running out because they forgot the breadsticks. When they came running out, it had a box this big. <laughs> you forgot your breadsticks. I was like, what? I mean, it was 24 bread. You know, those long breadsticks with butter, and and I looked at Eileen. I said. You've got to be kidding me. What are we going to do with all these breadsticks? And she's serious as a heart attack. She says, we're going to eat them. <laughs> and she wasn't kidding. She was not kidding. We, all week we've been feasting off Olive Garden breadsticks, man. But more, more importantly is the bread of life. And the bread as it relates to Christ. Because it's a necessary food. We can't dispense without it or we would perish. That's the truth. Like I said, jokingly, I mean, the world is kind of moving away from bread, at least in the U.S., but that's, in the world itself, we can't dispense without it. We would perish. So without Christ, we would have no life. That's what the teaching is of the bread. Universal food, it satisfies every class of people, rich, poor, uneducated, the educated, black, white, yellow, green, it doesn't matter. It satisfies every class of people. He's the Savior for all who come to Him, whosoever will. It's universal. And it's a daily diet. I looked it up, and you know how important is bread in the world? It said it's the daily diet of the world. And uh, maybe not for everybody, but for the majority of the world, it's the, it, it is the daily diet. So give us this day our daily bread. That's what Jesus taught us. Now, I know that we think of it in the physical terms, like I mentioned last week, the provisions of God. But there's a spiritual aspect. Jesus was always teaching about the spiritual. And, and people tend to, to lean toward the physical and try to understand it. But Jesus is often speaking in the spiritual realm. So we need to feed upon Christ as the bread of life, like Mary did at the feet of Christ, spending the time with Christ and feeding off him for our to be our sustenance and our the ability to sustain us in a world that is ungodly. So, we're going to talk a little bit more about the bread of life in regards to the feeding of the 5,000. Now, they missed the spiritual significance of this miracle. I mean, they, they think much like we think when the Israelites were, were with Christ present, they just completely missed everything he seemed to teach them. 
And then the feeding of the 5,000 really wasn't about the feeding of the 5,000. It was much deeper about him as the bread of life. And he taught us this in John 6. You, you read through all that. He said, he answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. In other words, they were attracted to the physical piece of that. The spiritual significance was completely missed. And he told them this, these words, labor not. Oh, that's, that's important for all of us. Labor not for the meat which perisheth. Even though it's important in our lives to have something to sustain us physically, but don't labor for something like that that perishes. But for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. We get so attached to the physical. That is, a, that is a natural man leans toward the physical. I mean, the very summary of sin is the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. The physical sense, senses are powerful. They're alluring. And so if we don't spend time with God, if we don't spend time in the holy place, in the spiritual realm, the spiritual man with God, then the things of the physical world become more attractive, more alluring. The more time we spend with God, the less attractive the physical things become. And that's what Jesus is teaching. You're attracted to the physical because you're missing the spiritual. You're not in the spiritual. You're not walking in the spirit. The Bible says, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary one to another. Who do we feed? We either feed the flesh, the physical attraction, or we feed the spirit and the spiritual attractions. You can always test yourself in these areas. We'll talk about that here in a minute. It's an examination for our lives. But really, what was Christ teaching them? Well, we know they said, labor not for something that perishes. What an absolute beautiful truth here. He was teaching them, don't live for the temporal. Man, that's hard. You know, I'm, I'm, I realize when I'm teaching this, is I'm not above this. This is a struggle for me as much as it is for anybody here. That's why I'm teaching it. Being retired is a beautiful thing, but it can be very tempting to live toys and playtime and not do anything, and then all of a sudden the physical becomes very attractive. And the spiritual realm, well, you know, I'll get to that. But no, I'm not going full-time, brother. <laughs> I have tried to share with him the word retirement and what it means. It's, it's just not, it's not sinking in yet. It's not. We'll get there. He's, him and I, yeah, we're, we're battling about this. But, hey, I'm, I'm blessed, thankful that pastor has given me the opportunity to teach. I, I count it a great privilege. I'm very serious about this teaching. But I don't want to do it full time. <laughs> but God will have his say in that. So I'm going to be very careful what I say there. Because I've said that before and been thrust into full-time ministry. But temporal versus eternal. The momentary satisfaction which gets so many people in trouble. Look at what it did to David's life. To this day, we still talk about David. But when we think of David, we think of him and Bathsheba. Momentary satisfaction. How he was away from the spiritual and the physical became very powerful. Just like that, it changed the course of his life forever. Lasting satisfaction is what Jesus is teaching us. 
This one's really tough. Earthly attachment versus heavenly attachment. Keep that in mind because we're going to talk about that verse here in a minute. But I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at the things which are seen, and this is Paul giving us instruction, but the things which are not seen. Well, that's really tough because I'm in, my physical senses are really powerful. I like to touch, feel, see. I mean, that's, I don't know how anybody lives with Amazon. You can't touch anything. You, can't, you see it, but you can't touch it, feel it. I got to go to the store. I want to put the jacket on. I want to put the shirt on. But my wife somehow has figured this out. You don't have to touch it and feel it anymore to buy it. And if you buy it and you don't like it, after you've, you, you send it back. But really, we are about the spiritual, or Christ is teaching about the spiritual, not the physical. Things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The car I have, the house I have, everything I own is temporal. But I treat it sometimes as if it's going to last forever. Possession, we're so possessive. The physical is so powerful, and Jesus is saying, stop it. Quit being so attracted to the physical. And when you get into the spiritual, then you'll really see the value of life, the purpose of life, the power of the life of Christ. And I know many of you have, and many of you are living that way. When I thought about this verse, <clears throat> I thought about my first BMWs. You know, I drew. I, I grew up pretty, you know, moderate. I didn't have a lot of money. Parents didn't have a lot of money. But when I went to college, I was driving a Datsun 210. I was down south at LSU, and I had no air conditioning. I never complained. I didn't know any different. Um, I mean, that car was, you know, it was a joke, really. I mean, but it was. It got me from A to B, and it did for seven years. But when I got out of college, I'm like, oh, it's time to upgrade. I went out and bought myself a BMW. Now, used, 1981, 320IS, you probably don't even know what that is, but it was a sports car, and it was lowered, it, it had been lowered, it had BBS rims that were gold, they were very uh, detailed, it had striping, it had Recaro seats, I mean, this is a beautiful sports car, and I, I can remember getting into that sports car and driving around and just thinking how important I was driving that car. <laughs> Little did anybody know, I didn't have a dime to my name. And I used to pray, God, please don't let this thing break down. I can't afford anything. I barely make the payments. It was a used car. And sure enough, I'd spend every weekend, I'd, on a Saturday, I'd go down and spend, you remember this, I'd spend two or three hours cleaning that car. At about six months into that, I said, this, this thing is not worth it. I mean, cleaning it every week, trying to make it look nice and showy. I said, I, I absolutely started to detest that, that car. And then I got my first repair. And then my second repair, and I really detest. I could not stand this car. I was begging to get rid of it. It wouldn't take long to realize this, this truth. I'd put a lot of stock into that BMW and how important it was. But over time, God began to show me that this thing's not a lot of value that you think it is. You're spending a lot more time with this car than you are with me. And now he's making, he's making it really hard for me to enjoy the car. So we have to be careful sometimes about how, where we invest our time, our treasures, and our talent. Because God wants to teach us this truth. That's a temporal thing. Don't get too attached to it. 
It's a very great, uh, important truth. I thought about Moses choosing rather, listen to this, to suffer affliction. Now, I'm not encouraging you to do that. <laughs> choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He chose to suffer over pleasure. But we live in a society that chooses pleasure over suffering. Isn't it ironic that they choose it, but yet the society is suffering greatly? You can't meet anybody anymore that doesn't have some kind of problem. The world seems to be miserable, but yet they talk about pleasure all the time. But God's saying he chose suffering over pleasure. And God's not against pleasure. God gave us pleasures. But when our pleasures become our idol, then it's a problem for God. And we all, all know that in the last days, there should be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. We have it made here in, in the U.S. We live very comfortably. We live very wealthy. I mean, even the poorest are wealthy. This country does a good job at taking care of even the poor, even though they'll claim they don't. But we live in a time where sometimes we get blinded and we think, well, we, I don't have that many pleasures. But we do, and we have attraction to that. And when we spend little time with God, then those pleasurable things become very powerful in our life. And before you know it, that's what we're living for. And God said, choose to suffer rather than to enjoy pleasures. That's, that's a powerful statement. The bread of life, and these are some challenging questions to ask ourselves. These are questions I ask myself, so I thought I'd share them with you because every now and then I have to do a physical. I do a physical exam every, every year, sometimes a couple times a year. It's probably smart to do an exam. Not everybody does it, but it's, I would say it's pretty smart to do a physical exam. Well, what about a spiritual exam in your life? The Bible says in two places, 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, regarding the Lord's Supper, it says examine yourselves. We go to the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to really evaluate our lives in relationship to the body of Christ and to what he accomplished, what he did for us. And so when we, it's, there's no harm in doing this. It's important. It keeps you clean. It keeps you thinking about, you know, where do I stand with God? And, and so here's some questions that I've thrown out for myself in doing this kind of spiritual exam. Is what am I living for? And I wrote down money, material things, pleasures. And here's an, another one that's been on the rise, popularity. Now I know that's not a problem for anybody here. But you get to a younger generation, it's critical. It's all about the peers. It's all about the likes. I could give you a, a ton of stats on how important the like button is today in our society. The like button that says, I like what you said. I like the way you dressed. I like what you, your picture. That's a powerful influencer in people's lives. People will do anything to get a number of likes. We call them influencers today. And they're, and they're powerful individuals that influence others. Popularity. What am I living for? And then, what is most important to me in this life? Is it family, friends, work, hobbies, sports? All those things are important. All those things are good. There's nothing wrong. But if God's not weaved into each and every aspect of those, those parts of your life, then is it really important? Christ ought to be center of all things and ministry, and church, and Bible, and prayer, and ministering to people. Those are 
Those are more important because those are lasting. What are my priorities? Well, I have to sift through that one. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle to keep this in balance, by the way. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's a good example. Where am I spending most of my time? And I'll have to, I have to sometimes really wake up to the reality I'm spending more time on this than I am with God. And it's a good place to get a checkup and say, ooh, it's time to get into the holy place so that I can become clearer on these things. I always say the more time we spend in the holy place with God, the clearer this all becomes. It'll, it'll, it'll tell you where you are when you spend time with God. Now, who am I serving? You know, the old acronym, Jesus, others, yourself, joy. Sometimes it's reversed. It's ourselves first and maybe others and Jesus last, which we know we have to constantly battle. Spending time with God in the holy place, eating off the bread of life, makes that all become clear and helps us. So the answer to many of these questions is summed up in these verses here. These are powerful verses. In Colossians 3, I, I often go back to Colossians 3. I'll read this probably on a monthly basis just for a good checkup. But if ye be been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Wow, what? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And I didn't include the next verse, but it's even more powerful. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affection. My wife and I are leaving this afternoon to go visit our grandson. He's four months old. He's growing like a weed. We want to get spend some time with him. I mean, there's an affection for that, that little weed. I mean, he's, I can't wait to hold him. He's, he's in that stage now where he's laughing and he's, he's responding. And, you know, every little video we get, oh, you know, Eileen's just crazy about it, you know. And I'll blame her. I am too. Yeah, I just don't have as much emotional reaction as she does, but set your affection, that's affection she has, as I do for that child. And God's saying, set your affection, that same design, on things above. Woo! <laughs> that probably is one of the most disobeyed verses in the scripture. <laughs> set your affection on things above. And then this verse, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these Things, family, important, work, important, hobbies, poor, all that's important, but not as important as seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added to you. You say, well, how do I know if I'm doing, where do you spend most of your time? What's your thought life? Where are your actions? Now, you voted with your feet, as Pastor would say. You're, you come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're involved in ministry. That is that is telling God what's important in your life. So praise the Lord that you're here, but there's a lot of folks that probably aren't, aren't here that should be here because they're not doing this. They've let the physical become more important, and Jesus said that's a waste of your time from an from a eternal perspective. So now I'm really excited about the second part of this study. Now take a quick glance at that, that picture there. That is the table of showbread. That's the showbread itself. Some utensils on there that, you know, they poured uh, oil on it. Um, you know, they'd feast off that bread, but that bread was never to go empty. It was to be filled all the time. So we're going to try to get to part two of this, which is 
you know, what do we learn from that? Besides Christ as the bread of life, what else is it teaching us about spiritual things? So let's read these verses in Leviticus. There's three places about the showbread. Two are completely rep repetitive, and that's in um, Exodus about the showbread table. And then this is in Leviticus is more detail about the bread itself. And so we're going to read about that. He says, and uh, thought, and thought, I don't know if I did that right, take fine flour and bake 12 cakes thereof. And thou shalt set them, notice, in two rows, six in a row. That's important. I read this a hundred times and it never hit me. And one day, boom, I was like, I'll be. God gave us a picture of something with, those two, with the way he set that up. Two rows, six in a row, and he calls it the pure table before the Lord. And every Sabbath, he shall set it in order before the Lord. And there's that word again, continually. The word always, perpetual. It represents something what? Eternal. So it's two rows, six on a row. That's what it would look like. Now, the typology of the showbread, we just talked about this, is foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ as the bread of life. But it also is a foreshadowing of the word of God which is a type of manna, and manna is bread. So, we're going to study how this showbread is a picture of the Word of God. We're going to go deep here this morning. But I want to go back to the way God set this thing up. Six, six. That's what that is. Six in each row, right? I believe, remember, it's a type of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He's the incarnate Word. But where do we learn about him? In the written word. 6.6 6 tells me that God is giving us possibly a glimpse into the completed canon of Scripture. We have 66 books in the Bible. And there we go. In Leviticus, that's how he set it up. I don't know why he set it up. I know it represented the 12, represented the tribes. I get all that. But the 6 in each row, I believe because God is telling us it represents the word of God. You cannot separate Jesus Christ from the Word of God. You cannot do it. And I'll, I'm going to walk you through, I'm going to prove this in Scripture. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, we have to talk about the written Word. So if that is a type of Jesus Christ, the bread of life, it has to be a type of the Word of God, which is manna, the bread that we feast on. By the way, I say coincidence. Uh, 66 books? No. There's no coincidence with God. All things were, God already had the word settled in heaven. It was completed. When he wrote that, he's like, I want six here and six there, because that's going to represent the word of God. And the word of God is going to be complete with 66 books. God preserved his scripture long before it was ever, ever completed. So the showbread teaches us that we should feed upon the bread of life. The incarnate word, which is what we've just been studying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the Word was God. Now your Mormons, your Jehovah Witnesses, will, will change that to the Word was a small g God. Small God. A lesser God. But Jesus Christ was God. Period. The Bible settles it and the Word was made flesh. There is no controversy in this. But yet it's one of the most controversial subjects in the world. And Paul said without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was 
manifest in the flesh. The, 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 the written word, so to speak, became the incarnate word. He is the word. But how do I know him? Is it up to me and my, my thought process? Whew, I hope not. Because we have to know him through the written word. Remember the eyes of your understanding, that spiritual man? It said, it told you that to grow in the knowledge of him. How do I grow in the knowledge of him apart from the word of God? It's impossible. Because if it's left up to me, we are in trouble. Then I will, I will be the ones, like others, who would say, a God. That's what they did. They threw God's word out, and they, they created their own God. So we need the written word, the Holy Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's why the Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. So Christ is the center of our life. The written word, the showbread pictured there, is what keeps us focused and aligned on the center of life, Christ. Without the word, we can't keep aligned. So when people say, well, I know Christ, but they don't read the word, something's going to go awry in their life. They're going to go south pretty quick because they're leaving it up to themselves and it won't work. And we'll prove this out. The absolute necessity of the word of God. The absolute necessity. I know pastor is one of the many, but probably the preacher I've been under the most, who emphasizes the need to read the scriptures all the time. I don't, I've been to a lot of churches, folks, around this country. That's not they don't emphasize the word of God, but not like here. And I think that's important. We've gotten away from that in our churches. We've gotten into a lot of other books, but the word of God is where it's at. And reading it, the necessity of it is so important. Here's, here's something that came to mind when I say the absolute necessity. Think of Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, everybody here wants to please God. Now, without faith, it's impossible. But what does it tell us in Romans 10, verse 17? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Where do I get my faith? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I get my faith from hearing the word of God or reading it, and that is what I use in my life to please God. So think about it as the absolute necessity, because that's the only way I can please God is to know his word. How are you going to know Christ apart from his word? It's impossible. People are trying it, but it's not, it's not I wouldn't go that way. How will you know the will of God apart from the written word? This is important. And Pastor talked about apostasy last Wednesday. How will you know what is false? and deceptive apart from absolute truth, and we believe the Word of God to be absolute truth. There's a verse somewhere, in, well, maybe you could remind me in Kings, that says, uh, there is no king in the land. Every man did that which was right in their own eyes. The king represented authority, absolute authority. When there's no king, then it's chaos. Kind of like where we are in U.S. today. We got a king, but he doesn't know where he's at. So, sorry, I didn't, that's, that wasn't proper, but... I can't, you know, there's some truth to that in, in a sad way, sad way. So, <clears throat> I've got a couple verses for you to think about. Philippians 1.10, that you may approve things that are excellent. That, that's what we're instructed to do, to approve things that are excellent. I want to do that, but how? Next verse, Ephesians 5 verse 10, proving what is acceptable 
unto the Lord. Hmm. How do I know it's acceptable to the Lord? Unless he gave it to me here. So if I'm going to prove what is acceptable, and if I'm going to prove all things that are excellent, I've got to do it according to the standard God gave me. If it's left up to me, I'm corruptible, unholy, impure, unrighteous. Now I know, practically speaking. So I need a standard that's pure, incorruptible, and holy. That's why it's called the Holy Word of God. This way I can know the things of God. And when I know the things of God, then I can do them. And when I do them, the Bible says, without faith, or with faith, I'm pleasing God. It really does go hand in hand. So to know Christ, the showbread that we've been talking about, is to also know his word. Their two are inseparable. You cannot separate the two. And this is why the priests, and we're all priests of God, were commanded to eat it. It's that simple. We were commanded to eat. The priests were, as we are, and that's why Jesus said, man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And what proceeded out of the mouth of God now is in written form for us to live and obey. What a beautiful thing that God has done for us. Think about the year, millennials, they didn't have this completed scripture. Sometimes the scriptures were only for the, um, the, 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 the priests themselves. They didn't give it to the common folks. And we have it in our hands every day. And that's much of what the Protestant Reformation was about, getting the word of God into the hands of the common people versus the, just the kings and the priests. So, on to this next subject. I think it's one of the most powerful and beautiful studies about the word of God. So you, if you want to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 16, and I'm, I'm probably not going to get through this, but we'll, we'll do our best. What I'm going to show here is how manna, which is a type of bread, foreshadows the Word of God and in, so many, in so many ways. This typology here is, is beautiful. I mean, Exodus 16 is far more than just about bread coming from heaven. It's about what God's teaching us about what to do with the bread from heaven and what it represented. He's provided us a beautiful picture here. So Exodus 16 is a study of manna. A type of bread. Now, you can look at these verses, but I'm just going to, I've got them up here, so you want to go back and study this. It says, God said, I will rain, what? Bread from heaven for you. And he says, so we realize, first of all, it was from heaven. Well, we already talked about his bread. This, he says, it's from heaven. The word of God is from heaven. The wisdom that is above is first pure. James 3.17, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Just like we read about the showbread representing the completed canon of Scripture, the 66 books, it was already done in the mind of God. The word of God was complete from Genesis to Revelation. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, Psalm 119. The word of God came from heaven. Just like Jesus Christ, the word of life came from heaven. So, what's the other thing that manna represents? The people were responsible for gathering manna how often? Daily. Now, they got a double dose the Sabbath, right? They weren't, they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath and go collect it, so God gave them a double dose, and it didn't stink. On the regular days, if they didn't eat it, it went bad. 
but before the Sabbath, they were to get two doses, and God would preserve it so they could get through the two days without it going bad. But they were responsible. This is important. They were responsible. What I'm, what I'm trying to teach here is how does the bread relate to us? We know it's, from the, it's the Word of God, but what is our responsibility? Well, it was to be gathered daily. So 2 Timothy 2.15, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. You know, that's probably one of my life verses right there. I came out of the Church of Christ. I had to study. I didn't go to school. I just had to study and ask God to show me the things so that I would not be deceived and that I could help others not be deceived. And this was my life first. I put this on my um, groom's cake. Eileen put this on my groom's cake. You should have seen the look of some of my friends. Because I had just gotten saved. And, you know, they came to the wedding. And there's that cake. And this is the verse on it. It had a big Bible. It was a cake that was a Bible. It said, it said this verse. And I, what? What? They're looking at me, looking at the verse. That, was my, that became my life verse. Study. That's the responsibility we have. In Acts 17, I love this verse. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And that they received the word, what? With all readiness of mind. They came, I want something from God. I hope that's what. And look what they did. They searched the scriptures daily. They were responsible for gathering manna daily, and they did exactly that. They obeyed God. The word of God is our standard. And it's what we use to determine what is acceptable to the Lord. God knows um, we have to have this. To search the scriptures. That's another verse in John 5. But I want you to think about them. People go to counselors. They go to psychologists. They go to doctors. I get, and, and they're looking for help and trying to fi- figure out something that's a spiritual problem. And the Bible says, if they speak not according to this word, there is no light in them. Wow. What? There's no light. If they're not speaking according to the word, that they're in darkness. That's why Jesus said to the, to the educated, the, the religious people, he said, you err not knowing the scriptures. How do I know it? I get a daily dose of it. And when we get a daily dose of it, man, things begin to happen in our lives. The bread was called manna. By the way, manna means, what is it? Now, we know it was bread from heaven, but... When the people got it, they knew it was a type of bread, but they said, well, what is it? (laughs) That's why it's called manna. That's what manna means. So think about it this way. It's like like nothing they had seen or tasted before. This is like no other book in the world. 37 years ago, this changed my life forever. There's no turning back. If I turn back, it doesn't matter. I still cannot get this out of my mind what God has revealed. It's like nothing that I had seen or tasted before. Just like they said. The Word of God is not like any book in this world. Why? Because it's supernatural. It's a living book. Hebrews 4 says, is quick, which is living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's supernatural and cannot be understood apart from the Lord. And the the world looks at this, and of course us as we hold it, and goes, what is it? They, they, it's like, why would you spend any time reading that stupid old book written by a bunch of old guys? That's what they say. That's why they're working feverishly to try to prove it wrong. And it's been around for millennial, and no one has proved it wrong yet. 
All the scientists have tried, some of the evolutionists, but then the, God raised up creationists and said, I got a more powerful argument. God didn't have to prove himself, but he'll give you little glimpses here and there. Say, yeah, for your faith. But the world looks at it and says, what is it? Just like Israelites said, what is that? It's manna. Next time somebody goes, what is it? Go, it's manna. And if you, if you get saved, this is what you feast off. And that's how you feed off. And you say, I feed off the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Well, you're feeding off that then. Because that's the only way to know him. Who, we who are saved know it to be the very words of God. So, a couple things. I've got to stop here. Um, we'll, we'll pick this up next week. Well, yeah, next week. Um, we got a few, it'll, it'll go fast, but there's a lot of other things about the Word of God that you'll learn from, from what we re read about in regards to the manna. So with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we have been given to feed upon. Thank you that, Lord, we have the privilege and the responsibility to lift him up and, and honor him, to seek his glory and his honor. And, and Lord, may you help us this morning to do that. May Christ be lifted up high and for all to be drawn to him. And I pray the power of God may rest upon our pastor as he preaches the word of God. Lord, help us to be sustained by what we hear today. Give us strength. Bless us, Lord, and use us in a manner that will bring glory and honor to you as we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com. Or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.